From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. $27 billion for 24 agencies is available again after President Biden rolled back a rescission request President Trump signed before he left office. Health and Human Services, Treasury, State, and others are on the list of agencies who can spend the money as originally budgeted again. GovExec reports the programs the rescission targeted are mostly international aid and development programs. The Army will roll out the next phase of its integrated personnel system this December. It's asking soldiers to double-check their information in the system and meet with local unit personnel offices if it's not correct. Federal News Network reports the next phase will move more than a million soldiers into the system, including reserves and active duty. The Joint Artificial Intelligence Center will use an other transaction authority to stand up an online environment for AI acquisition. The chief of acquisition for the Jake, William Roberts, says the new network will be a new framework will be user friendly for private companies. FCW reports there's no deployment date for the portal yet. The Biden administration's in the middle of rolling out its whole of government approach to vaccine distribution. The Government Accountability Office has new recommendations for implementing the CARES Act and managing the vaccine supply chain. Nikki Clowers is Managing Director for Healthcare Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Nikki, welcome back. It's good to see you again. There is so much here, and the number that jumps out at me is 27 of 31 previous recommendations, mm -hmm. recommendations you've already made to various parts of the government, have not been implemented yet, and yet you still have 13 new recommendations. Are there themes or are there categories in which we can put the recommendations that you're making, Nikki? Well, first, thanks for having me, Francis. It's, it's good to be back. And yes, uh, there's a number of our recommendations that remain open, and we urge Congress and the new administration to take action on those recommendations. And the recommendations have spanned uh, all fronts of the government, all the efforts that are ongoing from vaccine distribution to medical supply challenges to small business programs. But in terms of themes, there are some cross-cutting themes. And that's the need for clear, consistent communication, uh, better defined plans, a better defining roles and responsibility, and ensuring that programs have the needed accountability and transparency mechanisms. So I read this work right then, Nikki, because my takeaway from it was the government's struggling with the same thing in its response to the pandemic that it struggles with in its response to just about everything, which is busting out of silos and being able to exchange information and and resources with other agencies across those silos that's really the core of what it sounds like you're writing and talking about am i am i hearing it right you are it, it's and it's magnified with the pandemic given the the size of the response and the number of players uh you know most agencies federal agencies are working on some aspect of pandemic response, whether it's issues of health care, unemployment, worker safety, or again, helping small businesses. And not only do you have the federal government working across and should be working across horizontally to coordinate those efforts, you it's also an intergovernmental um, response in that the federal government must work with state and local governments, as well as the private sector and nonprofit, nonprofit sectors to effectively respond. 
One of the ways, Nikki, that agencies do that is exchanging information, exchanging data with each other. What are the recommendations that you have around that data exchange? We've made a, a number of recommendations uh, around the need for better data in our government's response uh, through our series of reporting on, on COVID-19. In this report, we focus on healthcare data and the need to improve that data. What we found is data on important health outcomes or um, how the response is going in terms of cases, uh, testing, um, hospitalizations, the data are often incomplete and inconsistent, and that's really because there's a number of players that are collecting this data at the federal level, as well as state and local governments, as well as the private sector. I compare it to an elephant. Everyone's touching a different piece of the elephant, and we need to bring all that data together in order to get a comprehensive picture and, and monitor trends and allow the government to see when new problems are emerging and take action to address those problems. So we made a recommendation that the Department of Health and Human Services established an expert committee to identify what data are needed, how to collect it, and how to standardize that data so it could be more useful in our response. One of the biggest questions that everybody has right now, Nikki, is when can I or when can someone that I care about get a vaccine? What did you find when you looked at the supply chain and you looked at the distribution plans at, that agencies are undertaking uh, as far as weaknesses and potentially strengths too? Well, we found where the distribution plans need 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 improvement, and in fact, uh, this was an area back in late summer where we made a recommendation uh, to the Department of Health and Human Services to work with their partners to start to develop a distribution and administration plan, um, focusing on the coordination that would be needed and the communication. Um, strategy that would be needed as well to ensure an effective rollout. Uh, certainly getting to um, vaccine development and having two vaccines that have been authorized with hopefully a, a third one soon on its way is very notable and we did that in record-breaking time. But we were encouraging the government at that time to start pivoting and looking towards this distribution because as it's proven to be, it's very challenging given the number of players and we need better communication um, across government as well as um, from federal government to state and local partners so they know what to expect and help get those shots into the arms of Americans. We have less than 30 seconds left, Nikki. Are there some of these that would be easy for agencies to implement or is this just really a terribly daunting challenge? Certainly the pandemic response is a daunting challenge given the scope and the magnitude of the issues at hand. Some of our recommendations should be easy to implement because they go to the basic good government principles as we talked about from good communication, having uh, good plans in place and clearly defining the roles and responsibilities. And we think as a new administration comes in, as a new Congress starts, this is an opportunity for them to look at their policies and actions that they're taking and incorporate our recommendations going forward. Nikki, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. Up next, burrowing in at the federal government, straight ahead on Government Matters, who's doing it and how big of a problem is it really? You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
The Government Accountability Office will look at former Trump administration political appointees that switched to career jobs. Democrats in Congress asked for details on burrowing in back in the fall. Jeff Neal's former chief human capital officer at the Department of Homeland Security. He's chairman at the National Academy of Public Administration. He's writing about burrowing in on his blog, chiefhro.com. Jeff, welcome. It's great to see you again. How bad is this problem, and does it look like it's worse or better in the aftermath of the Trump administration than previous administrations? Well, burrowing in, Francis, is something that, that happens in every agency, even though every agency denies that it ever happened. It does. We don't know how much worse it might be right now than it has been in previous administrations. You know, anecdotally, we're hearing that there were a fair number of Trump appointees who burrowed into various types of jobs, you know, anything from boards and commissions down to you know, GS-12s and 13s in agencies. So I think until they're able to get in there and get a good look at what kinds of personnel actions have taken, we're not sure exactly how bad it might be right now. But it is something that, that happens in a lot of agents, in, in a lot of administrations. Um, it just might be worse this time than it typically is. I know historically it's hard to compare what happened in the previous administration to administrations before it. But you write in your most recent piece, uh, the belief is that burrowed in employees are there to undermine the new administration. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought that I've heard is that these people get into the government, they find out, number one, it's a good gig, and number one, and number two, it's a fulfilling gig. Do you have a sense of historically which of the burrowing in can be attributed to one or the other of those schools of thought, Jeff? More often than not, people who burrowed in are people who just wanted a government job after their their appointment, uh, and they weren't doing it for ideological reasons. And when I started at DHS as Chief Human Capital Officer, we had um, I think 17 or 18 Bush administration folks who had burrowed in, and I got a letter from the the chair of one of the House committees saying, please take a look at this. And so I, I personally took a look at it. And what I found was that, you know, for the most part, there was nothing wrong with any of these appointments. They followed the rules, the people were qualified. And then after, and so nothing happened to them. And then after that, they really didn't do anything to try to undermine the Obama administration's policies in DHS. So in that case, you know, there were people who burrowed in. Yes, they burrowed in. You know, would they have been gotten the jobs if they hadn't been there as politicals? Probably not. Did they get hired illegally? No, they got hired legally. And they stayed. I, I don't know how, how long most of them stayed, but they stayed around and they did their jobs. And so it wasn't you know, some horrible thing that happened at that point. But the Bush administration also wasn't known for hiring people who were hostile to the mission of the agency. Uh, as the Trump administration was in some cases. You write in this piece, the types of problems that would make an appointment invalid are things like cooking the process to ensure the burrowed in employee was determined to be among the best qualified or failing to follow the requirements of a particular hiring authority. Is it possible to fake those things? I would think those things are, are when someone goes back and looks, they'd be pretty obvious, Jeff. Uh, a lot of times people get caught if they try something like that. You know, when they're cooking the process, they're doing things like tailoring the, the qualification requirements of the position to the resume of the person they're trying to hire. And you can't do that. Uh, and, and what they'll do sometimes is they'll, they'll, they'll tailor it a little too close. 
and they'll you know you'll you'll see that the qualification requirements even follow the same order that things are listed in the person's resume. So normally when you see something where somebody's been playing around with the process and, and committing committing a prohibitive personnel practice when they do that, you'll find that that, that's, that, that is often very obvious. And so it's, it's um, you know, it seems like when people are trying to be crooked, they also seem to turn off the part of their brain that helps them be smart. And so you tend to find things that people do that are crooked and stupid. You write in this piece about three places that the Biden administration should look for potential abuses. Hires whose appointments are not complete, hires who've been appointed for the first time to career positions, and hires whose previous service allows them to not serve a probationary period. Is there one of those three, Jeff, that you think is potentially more problematic, harder to find issues with, or something like that than others? Well, the, the, the ones that are harder to do anything about are people who are not on probation because they've been in career jobs before. So those kinds of people, you, you really have to treat them like any other federal employee. They have, to be, um, they have to be given the chance to perform. If they perform, then they stay around. Uh, the other folks, uh, people whose appointment hasn't been com uh, completed, uh, they could just cancel the, the, the job offer in those cases. Uh, the courts ruled after the Reagan administration did a retroactive hiring freeze in 1981 that federal job offers are not contracts. And so they can just say, be gone with you. We're not going to give you a give you a job after all. The people who are on probation, uh, if they mess up, and mess up is a pretty broad term when you're on probation, uh, those folks could just be terminated. And they have very little recourse uh, on the termination of their in probation. So, so those folks are not uh, a big worry. Jeff Deal. Thanks very much for joining me as always. Great to have you. Good to be here. You can find a link to Jeff's piece at govmatters.tv slash resources. If you missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is available now as an audio podcast. You get it every day on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or just ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. Welcome back. Some House Democrats and President Biden are calling for $9 billion in a boost to the Technology Modernization Fund in the next pandemic relief bill. If there is more money for modernization, agencies will still need to implement it across government. Richard Spires is principal at Richard A. Spires Consulting, former CIO at the Department of Homeland Security. Richard, welcome. It's great to see you again. You write uh, recently, now's an opportune time for the Biden administration to make bold changes that can hasten agencies' maturity in managing and leveraging IT. Richard, do you think that's because of the transition? Is that because of the potential money for modernization in the relief uh, bill? Some other reason or all of the above? Oh, well, probably all of the above, but I would say it's, it's heartening that the Biden administration is taking um, the use of technology and its implementation in government very seriously and believes that uh, an investment in technology can make a real difference. Um, that being said, my experience, you know, like when I started at the IRS, when I started at DHS, was that uh, when you throw a lot of money, a lot of modernization funds, um, agencies really can struggle. They can struggle to execute well, and that's not that's nothing against the the, the government employees per se, but just the agency's uh, talent level, 
experience in, in running uh, major IT projects programs, uh, most agencies will struggle with this. So I, I hate to see billions of dollars thrown at IT modernization and then not be um, effectively leveraged. You make six recommendations and I, we don't have time, unfortunately, to talk about all six, but I wanted to pull a couple of them out because you always write interesting, incisive things. And the first one is developing comprehensive yet realistic agency IT modernization plans. The word there that jumped out at me it, it was realistic. What is realistic in creating such a plan, Richard, and what's not? Yeah, and, and let me just say GAO has really come down on agencies about this very point, that most agencies do not have real IT modernization, comprehensive IT modernization plans. So you need to look across the agency. And by the way, this isn't just about the CIO or CIO's office doing this. This is about a partnership working with the mission executives, working with the business executives to come up with a plan. It could be, you know, it could be five to 10 years even. But the realistic part is this. You need to really look yourself in the mirror as an agency and say, how can we execute this? It's all well and good to have all these great projects you're going to do and, and move out on. But Francis, so many agencies just do not have the talent um, and they don't even have necessarily the understanding of what it takes to really drive a lot of these true um, uh, modernization efforts, especially when you're talking about replacing significant legacy systems. Um, so much of the modernization we're doing now is what I would call piecemeal modernization around the edges. But if you're gonna truly go through a digital transformation effort, you, you need to take this on and you need to have the talent and experience to be able to do that. And I think that's where, uh, I, that's really what I mean by realistic. Second recommendation you make is improving ability to manage IT programs and projects, and that, in my view, kind of relates to the first one. So I want to move to the third one, Richard, and that's addressing procurement timelines and the use of strategic sourcing and category management. Now, that's one thing, the last two things there, strategic sourcing, category management. The Trump administration pushed, pushed both of those relentlessly. Do you get a sense that the ball moved, and how do you want to see the Biden team keep the ball moving? I, I do believe the ball moved to, to the good. I, I would just reflect one of the biggest frustrations I had when I was a CIO in government was just how long it took to get procurements done. And, and so I, I think this is a great thing that government's doing with GSA driving this category management in IT and professional services. I think it's making a real difference. And I, I think this is something the Biden administration needs to uh, champion it and, and just take it to the next level. They don't need to reinvent this wheel. I, I think there's a lot of positive momentum here. I, I think the Biden administration needs to pick up on that and, and push it forward. I'm going to skip four for a moment and come back to it to wrap up. Fifth is addressing the IT talent gap. Sixth is improving alignment uh, across the administration and with Congress. What does that look like in your view, Richard? Well, I think we need to revisit the reporting requirements that are that are put on the agencies from OMB and, and really make it align it with what we're trying to achieve around these modernization objectives. And then I would really hope that Congress uh, would be willing to work on the scorecard, the FATARA scorecard, and, and get the alignment between the administration and Congress about what that scorecard should be, the elements of that scorecard, so that, that we, we've got a way to, to much better judge how agencies are doing in these modernization efforts. So we're almost out of time, but I want to go back to number four, and that's maybe the biggest one here, given the events of the last month or so, and yeah. that's improving agency cybersecurity posture. 
What does that look like in an age when we thought we had things really headed in the right direction with Einstein and the evolution of that to the third generation? Uh, lots of talk and lots of action around zero trust. And then we learn about solar winds, Richard. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it does set us back. And in fact, it just, it just puts a real fine point on how difficult of a problem that we're facing here. You know, that being said, I, I, within cybersecurity, I'm really advocating two specific things. One is that the government needs to get much better about uh, risk management around cybersecurity. You can't do it all. And, you know, and I know there's been FISMA and this idea of, of high, moderate, and low, but that still is not working quite right. What we need is true risk management. And there, by the way, I mean, NIST has a, has a great framework, the, the cybersecurity framework for doing this kind of risk management, but you need to really, really focus on, on the most critical assets, the most important assets, make sure those are protected, and then you can move on to others rather than this trying to do it all approach that, that agencies get, uh, get stuck uh, tempting. And then the other thing, and you mentioned it, is zero trust. Um, I think it's showing that we need to move to a, a true zero trust model. You just cannot trust anything in your environment, okay? You can't even trust the cybersecurity providers that are providing you systems. And, you know, and, and we just need to recognize that and we need to move to architectures and models that, that enhance our capability to, to do zero trust. Richard, you always have excellent insight. It's great to see you again. Thanks for your time. Take care, Francis. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.